1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at our hands, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we, com- we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write to this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Good morning. Well, I'm very excited to share what I have to share today, especially in light of what Mark just shared. I think it fits really beautifully together. Um, as Mark said, we're going to jump into the, to 1 John this fall. That'll take us through till Thanksgiving. Um, if you haven't been around, we were, last fall, we started in the Gospel of Luke and went straight through the fall and then into the spring in the Gospel of Luke. And then this summer, as most of you know, we were in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. So now we're jumping back to the New Testament and not to a gospel, but to one of the letters of the New Testament. So we're trying to give you a a rounded out experience of God's word. And this felt like the the right step to take this fall. So, um, you know, we're going to read this. This is a letter um, written by the Apostle John to a group of people. And we're going to spend about 12 weeks reading through this letter. And I was like, this week I I was sitting there, something just struck me that I was like, this is such a weird thing that we're about to do. Like, there's some guy who wrote a letter to somebody 2,000 years ago, right? In the Mediterranean somewhere, in a different culture, different time. And there's a group of like 500 people now in uh, Orange County 2,000 years later, and they're going to spend the fall reading through his letter. And I said, that's a weird thing. Like, I write lots of letters. I don't think anybody's going to be reading my letters in, in 2,000 years. And it just struck me, that is such a strange and, and, and weird thing to do. And you might go, gosh, there's got to be a better use of time than that. Um, the world has changed a lot in 2,000 years. And, um, you know, so that's just sort of a weird thing. But I, it's a reminder to me that uh, in the midst of, of, of a changing culture and, you know, changing life, sorry, let me fix this, um, some things haven't changed much. It turns out the human heart hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Uh, the human heart still deals with what it deals with, just a new context. And the gospel certainly hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. And so I think and I hope that you will find what we read in this letter incredibly relevant to your life. So that's my hope and prayer, certainly. Uh, as I mentioned, the author of this letter is John. He is, we know him as the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He, along with his brother James, were just two guys grown up in Galilee. Disguise. They, they followed their father's trade of fishing, and they were fishing along the, the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee one day. And then this Jewish rabbi named Jesus came up to him and said, Hey, you guys are going to follow me. You're going to stop fishing for fish. You're going to start fishing for people. And transformed their lives. And he spent three years with Jesus and then gave his life uh, to Jesus and spent his life uh, trying to 
tell other people about this Jesus that he had come to know. Um, he wrote, um, obviously, first, second, and third John, those three letters. He also wrote the Gospel of John, uh, and he wrote the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. So he covers a lot of our, of our New Testament. And um, if you've read John's Gospel, and as we read First John, you'll notice there's lots of similar language and images and themes. I mean, you can tell it's the same person writing both of these things. And then as I've been reading First John, what has especially uh, hit me is what's become clear is, you know, the night before Jesus died, uh, he spent a night with his close friends in, in an upper room, and he celebrated a Passover meal with them. And as I've read this letter, it's become clear to me that in that, that final night, Jesus did some things, and he said some things that le- left a very lasting impression on John. Like so much of what John has to say comes out of what he experienced on that night. Um, quick random question. You, you guys towards the back, can you read your Bibles? It looks dark over there. Can you read it? Okay, good. Are all the lights on? I'm just seeing like this darkness. It might be a spiritual darkness, so that the lights can't, but I'm seeing that lights off. I just want to make sure you can read your Bibles. Are they all clicked on over there? Or have we just lost those lights? It's very possible. All right. What's that? They're on their phone. Yeah, you got your phones. That's right. It's backlit anyways. Never mind. There we go. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so John uh, is writing, and he's writing to uh, not an individual, probably not even one church, but a community of churches, and um, churches around the city of Ephesus, most likely. This is modern-day Turkey, so this is probably a letter that would get passed from church to church, and John is most likely uh, the, the key leader in that region, so they look to him, you know, as an authority, and so he's writing to them. And um, uh, the reason that the situation, as far as we can tell, we don't know, but we just try to deduce from the letter itself why he's writing. This is, I think there's a scholarly consensus on here's why, this is what was going on in these churches. Um, at some point, someone had come with the gospel, and these, and these, ch- these ch- people had come to faith in Jesus, and churches had been formed. Uh, eyewitnesses of Jesus' life had come and, you know, preached the gospel to them. Uh, and then a couple decades has gone on, and apparently some other folks have come through with a, a different version of the gospel. That they've, they've, they're proclaiming a little bit different Jesus and a little different gospel and a little different lifestyle. And some of the people in this church bought into that new thing, whatever that might be. And they ended up leaving the churches and kind of doing their own thing. But they have now their leaders who are still promoting these other views of who Jesus is and what Christian life is all about. And so the believers left in these churches are kind of feeling that and going like, um, they're feeling insecure. Like, did we miss it? Are we, do we have this right? What, you know, what's, are we living the way we're supposed to be living or, or do they have it? What's going on? And so John is writing them to try to give them a sense of assurance and confidence and to ground them again in the gospel that they heard from the beginning. All right. So if you look at the end of, towards the end of his letter, um, this is what he says. He gives us really the reason he's writing. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to feel confident. I want you to have a sense of assurance that yes, we, we have eternal life. We're not missing the boat here. We have eternal life. And so what he does in this letter is he basically lays out, here's the kind of life that one would live if one has eternal life. And he gives us like, here's your, here's your criterion that if you step into this kind of life, you can be really confident that you have eternal life. You can know it. You can be assured that you have it. So we're going to see this life that he paints for us in the next 
couple months. And I think you'll find things that are really encouraging. I think you'll find things that are really challenging. Uh, But I think it'll be a good journey. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just think very big picture and say if, if John's purpose is to give us confidence that we have eternal life, I want to ask the question before that, which is, okay, so what's eternal life? Like before I can know if I can be confident that I have it, I need to know what, what is eternal life? What are we talking about uh, when we say eternal life? Um, I would certainly argue that whatever it is, um, eternal life is the thing that every human being on the planet should want most of all. <laughs> More than anything else, human beings should, should want and crave eternal life. So I want to talk today about what are we talking about? Specifically, what would John say eternal life is? What is the essence of, of eternal life according to John. And he has his own unique perspective and flavor that he wants to bring to this notion of eternal life. So we're going to look at that today. And I want to invite you into something this morning that I'm going to ask of you right now. And what I want to ask of you is I want you to bring your imaginations to this time. Okay? I want you to bring a sense of wonder, a sense of uh, childlike curiosity. And when I say imagination, I'm not contrasting that with truth. I think we're going to be talking about truth But I want you to come and be willing to bring your imagination and to wonder again about things that you've heard before but maybe don't know in your bones, as Mark just said, all right? Um, I was reminded of G.K. Chesterton has a great uh, quote on sort of the imagination. He says this, um, the poet, and we're going to try to be poets today, all right? The poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. I just want to peek into the heavens and, and see what's there and imagine what it is. It's the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it's his head that splits, <laughs> right? So we're not trying to get this all perfectly figured out. We're trying to just get a peek uh, through a window of, of the life that we're being invited into, of eternal life. But we're going to have to bring our minds, and we're going to have to bring our imaginations, all right? So I want to ask you first, before I kind of lay this out, if I were to ask you, um, what's eternal life? You know, if you, if you could, if someone came up to you on the street and said, what's eternal life? And you had a couple sentences to answer. I want you to just think for a second. How would you, how would you answer that question? Well, eternal life is, you know, dot, dot, dot. I think that there's a lot of people in the American church, at least, who, if you ask that question, uh, they would say something along the lines of, oh, eternal life, eternal life is that thing you get when you die that lasts forever, okay? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's everlasting life that goes on and on forever. When you die, you, if, at least some people might say, if you're a Christian, some might say whoever you are, depends on who you ask. When you die, you, you, you get it, all right? So, like, it would be this. What's eternal life? Okay, well, here's your, here's your life, right? You have your birth, your timeline, to your death. And then you die, and eternal life is that thing that you get. It's a, it's a quantity of time you receive at death, and it goes on. Look, it's a ray, right? It goes on forever and ever and ever. That's a mathematician. Um, for John, I think John's going to tell us, you know, eternal life includes that. But eternal life is something much deeper and richer than just that. So let's look at what he has to say. Um, The first thing I think that John has to say about eternal life is actually eternal life, first and foremost, is a person. Eternal life is a person. Look at verse 2, bless you. Um, 
Look at verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, at first it sounds like he's talking about an idea, but in the context you realize, oh, he's actually, he's talking about a person there. The eternal life is a person. Who's the person? Jesus, right? The eternal life is a person. Jesus himself is eternal life. This is the second to last verse in 1 John. He, Jesus, is the true God and eternal life. So the first thing is this. Eternal life is a person. This person possesses within himself a quality of life that we're calling eternal life. So then it follows that in as much as you have the person, you then have eternal life. And that's what John says in in chapter 5. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So eternal life is in Jesus, and so through faith in Jesus, and by having Jesus, you can then possess eternal life, because this eternal life essentially is a person. It is to, to be in fellowship with Jesus. And what you learn in John, in his gospel, and in the letter, is that Jesus and his father are kind of a package deal. So if you have Jesus, uh, you have his father too because they're so close and and we'll talk more about that in a second. So if you look at our passage again in verse 3, it says, um, the second half of verse 3, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. This idea of fellowship, of, of community with Jesus and his father. So this is my premise today, what, I'm, what I want to just put. This is the sum of what I want to say. I think for, for John, the essence of eternal life is nothing more and nothing less than, than uh, oh, there, there you have it, than fellowship with Jesus and his Father. That is what eternal life is, fellowship with Jesus and his Father. Jesus says this himself in the upper room. Now this is eternal life. What? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. <laughs> That's the heart and soul of it. It is fellowship with Jesus and his Father. So what that means, then, there's a couple things. You know, eternal life isn't just a, a quantity of life, right? It's not just a length of life. It is a quality of life. It is about, uh, it's a relational fellowship with the one who is eternal life. And it also means that uh, eternal life is not something you have to wait until you die to begin to experience, right? You can experience it the moment you have Jesus, you have eternal life. So we would say something more like this, I think. John would say something more like this. Here's your life, your birth and your death, but somewhere in there, you came to faith, let's say, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And really, eternal life begins then. And it goes on forever. So the, the, the implication, I think, from John's perspective would be there are people in this room right now who are actually experiencing eternal life. That every single one of us in this room has the opportunity to experience eternal life now in the midst of still this fallen, broken world and our fallen, broken selves in imperfect ways now, but we can begin to experience the eternal kind of life now, which is nothing more, nothing less than fellowship with Jesus Christ and his dad, okay? That's, that's what it's all about. And that is the, the best thing that a human being can ever experience, now or forever. All right, so what I want to do is I want to um, 
I want to tease this out a little bit this morning by looking at our passage and just try to, try to put some meat on these bones. Are you guys, is this making sense? Right? Some of this may be new, some of this may not be new. Um, but I want to tease this out. And I, again, I want you to bring your imaginations uh, with you this morning to, to imagine what, what, what's being offered to us in the gospel. Okay? So um, in verse 1 and 2, John has two very basic things to say about Jesus. And I want to just talk about what these things are and how they connect then with eternal life. And they're, the, they're real basic ones. Two things he has to say about Jesus. One, Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. And two, the Son of God appeared in human form. All right? This is like Christianity 101, right? Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal, and yet he appeared. Most of us know these things, and yet we will not even come close to plumbing the depths of the reality of those two comments that I just made. All right? So let's try a little bit. Let's try to get our head inside the heavens this morning for just a second. So um, the first thing he says is Jesus is, is eternal. Look at how, how the letter begins. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning. And if you know John's gospel, you'll remember, oh, that kind of sounds like how John starts his gospel too, right? He refers to the Son of God as the Word there. He says, in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that, ha- nothing's made that, that has been made, right? In him was life. It sounds very familiar. And here he's saying, this Son of God, he is eternal. He's not a part of the creation. He has always existed. And there's this little preposition that John uses in verse 2 that is just a window into a world that we will never plumb the depths of. This is what he says. Uh, the life appeared, look at verse 2, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, and here it is, which was, what's the word? With, that little preposition with, it is the Greek word pros, okay? And the word almost everywhere else gets translated not as with, but as something more like towards. So he was towards the father. There's a, there's a towardsness that was there between the son and the father. And we might almost say there was this, it would be like a face-to-face towardsness, a, a fellowship, a intimacy, that existed between father and son um, before the son appeared. Um, in the upper room, Jesus gives us just a glimpse of what that might possibly have meant in the beginning. Here's what he says in the upper room. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Right? He's hearkening back to before the world began that there was a towardsness and there was, before there was a universe, there was glory. Here's my best shot at glory. There's glory. Before the universe existed, there was glory. There was a glorious fellowship between the Father and the Son. This glorious relationship of intimacy, of love, of delight, And what we're getting at is is this God who we believe is one God and yet he is so big and so vast and so immense that somehow within this one God's life himself, there is a fellowship within the one God's life of father and son. And we would add, of course, also the Holy Spirit. John's focus is on the father and the son. But before anything existed, 
There was this glorious fellowship. And it's out of the, the life and joy of that that the universe was created. Okay? So Christians don't believe that a lonely God created because he was desperate for friends. Okay? But you know, it is out of the, the, the joy and the fullness of the life that God has that, that all of creation uh, comes. Be like in, in a marriage, out of the fullness and intimacy of a marriage, that, that new life, that children uh, can come out of that. And so I want, I want to read to you, um, this is a, uh, I love this quote. This, uh, someone who's using his imagination to j- try to get us inside of the wonder of, of this. This, um, what some scholars would call the eternal dance, okay? The eternal dance between father and son that then is the source of all reality and joy and and everything that we see. So he's trying to get inside of the creation account according to the eternal dance. So uh, he's being a little playful. This is not going to be theologically tight and so, you know, just ease up a little bit. But it's a story. Uh, And the word tov is going to show up. Tov is the Hebrew word for good, Okay. Uh, in the creation account, God saw that it was good. Uh, let me tell you why God made the world. One afternoon before anything was made, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sat around in the unity of their Godhead discussing one of the Father's fixations. From all eternity, it seems, he had had this thing about being. He would keep thinking up all kinds of unnecessary things, new ways of being and new kinds of beings to be. And as they talked, God the Son said, Really, this is absolutely great stuff. Why don't I go out and mix up a batch? And God the Holy Spirit said, terrific, I'll help you. So they all pitched in, and after supper that night, the Son and the Holy Spirit put on this tremendous show of being for the Father. It was full of water and light and frogs. Pine cones kept dropping all over the place, and crazy fish swam around in the wine glasses. There were mushrooms and mastodons, grapes and geese, tornadoes and tigers, and men and women everywhere to taste them, to juggle them, to join them, and to love them. And God the Father looked at the whole wild party and said, Wonderful, just what I had in mind. Tove, tove, tove. And all that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit could think of to say was the same thing. Tove, tove, tove. So they shouted together, Tove. And they laughed for ages and ages, saying things like, how great it was for beings to be, and how clever of the Father to think of the idea, and how kind of the Son to go to all that trouble putting it together, and how consider of the Spirit to spend so much time directing and choreographing. And for an ever and ever they told old jokes, and the Father and the Son drank their wine in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A little playful, but trying to get at this eternal dance, this towardsness, this fellowship out of which the universe then comes into being. And John here in these two verses is pointing us to Jesus, the eternal one who is towards the Father from the beginning. This fellowship, this dance that has always existed. Uh, Of course, the tragedy of the fall is we we were invited into that dance and, and the fall has disrupted that, right? And now humans are, we're um, severed from that relationship with God. And so that's what makes the second thing that John says about Jesus so important. It's not just that he's eternal, but secondly, it is he appeared, right? That's the second thing he says in these first two verses. He appeared. Um, Verse two, the life appeared, right? He showed up. The eternal son of God became a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, in the person of a first century Jewish carpenter become rabbi. 
the, the eternal one shows up in that specific person. And John, in these first couple verses, uses all this sense language to get at that. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Uh, This is first person eyewitness kinds of language. John is saying he appeared and we saw him. We saw him multiply those loaves of bread. We saw him put his hands on lepers and and heal them. We, We heard, we actually heard his voice. We heard him say, come and follow me. We heard his voice calm storms and we touched him. We hugged him. We ate with him. We literally put our hands in his scars after his crucifixion and his resurrection. We were there, and he was real. He was not a ghost. This is the real thing. And so what he's saying is the eternal life that was with the Father in the beginning played itself out in an actual human being, Jesus of Nazareth. We saw and touched and heard eternal life taking place in this man's life. Fellowship, the dance, taking place in an actual person's life. And if you read John's gospel, it's so clear that the very heart of Jesus' life is that fellowship with his heavenly Father. That's the center out of which everything in his life emerges. So let me just give you some examples of this. Here's a picture. I've shown you this before. This is someone's rendition of uh, his baptism, Jesus' baptism when he comes out of the water. So on God the Father's side, what you see in John's gospel is this posture towards his son of complete affection and delight and pride and approval, right? At his baptism, this is what, this is what God the Father says to his son. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. There's so much pleasure when I think about you. I love you. Later in John, the Father loves the son. And shows him all he does. And on Jesus' side of that fellowship, you you watch Jesus in action. You see this man who is completely devoted, passionately committed to his father. Who lives and breathes for his heavenly father. Okay, here's some of the things he says in John's gospel. Total dependence on his dad. The son does nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is my favorite one. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know what, you know what satisfies me? You know what a great meal for me is? is just doing what my dad wants me to do. Man, that just fills me up. Maybe most famously, I and the father are one. And so what, you, what John is saying is we saw this. We witnessed this man who had such a deep and rich fellowship with God. And that was the center. And everything in his life flowed from that. This joy. He just is this joyful guy that, that flowed from that. This wisdom. This courage. And his love for other people flowed out of the love that his father had for him. His His complete freedom from people's opinions of him. He didn't really care what people thought of him because he had this relationship. I mean, really, honestly, all the things that I would think most of us want in life, this man had. 
And he had it because at the center of his life was this very rich fellowship. This inner well that he drew on. The eternal dance that was playing out in a person's actual life. Okay, so the question is, why does John tell us this? Why am I telling you this? Um, What's the purpose? Uh, I don't think it's just so we can look at Jesus and, and God the Father and say, that's great for you guys. Like, good for you. I'm happy that you guys are happy with each other. Okay, that's not the reason. The reason is because there's deep implications for us today. Look at what he says in verse three. Why are we telling you this? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, you also may have fellowship with, uh, with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. We're telling you this because you are invited into the fellowship. The eternal dance from the beginning of time that played out in the life of Jesus. And John is saying that we have been invited, him and his, his kind of whoever his circle of friends are that he's writing with, we're starting to experience that fellowship ourselves and you can experience it too. And so we're writing this because you can be invited in to the dance, into the fellowship and the communion that Jesus and his father have together. You can be a part of that. In fact, that is what eternal life is, is being invited into the fellowship of Jesus and his dad. Until that begins to permeate your being. Upper room. Here's the verse of the day. I don't normally give it out a verse of the day, but here's the verse of the day. This is what Jesus says. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And here it is. My father will love them. Look at this image. And we will come to them and make our home with them. That fellowship of love, that glorious towardsness and all the joy that's part of that, he says, that can make its home in you. In fact, that is what eternal life is, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I, I just, can, you, can we just imaginatively for a second sit with that image? That the, the, the eternal dance makes its home in you? That, that the that the being that spun out galaxies, you know, and, and the fellowship that we see in Jesus' earthly life, that that can make its home in you and me. <laughs> that we could be filled, Paul says, to all the measure of the fullness of God. So being born again, born from above, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. The very life of God in the soul of ordinary human beings. That's the good news. That's, that's eternal life. Oh, this diagram is so bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our lives are so short. And yet, for all eternity, there's this, there's this dance of father and son. <laughs> and eternal life, the offer of the gospel is this. At some point, you can come to faith. You can put your trust in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, through faith in that. That eternal dance makes its home in you. The Father and Son, through the Holy Spirit, come to dwell within you and permeate your being so that you live eternal life with the Father and with the Son. The very life of God in the souls of ordinary 
people. All right, so I'm, I'm, I want to leave you just with a uh, first John thought here. Um, this is all pretty conceptual, right? Um, I want to just leave you by going, okay, so what, what does that actually look like? Like, what does that feel like? What is it like to actually experience that? Particularly in this little period between what you have called faith and death. In this fallen, broken world that we're still in, in our fallen, broken selves, you're telling me I can experience a kind of eternal life. Now, what does that actually look like? What is that experience like? And I think the answers are manifold. But I think in 1 John, there are two things primary that that experience looks like, that John will be inviting us into. Twice in 1 John, John makes a statement that goes like this. God is blank. Only twice. God is this. And I think this gets at the heart of what it is. Here's one of the statements. He says, God is love. It's a famous verse, right? God is love. So if that's true, then this journey of God making a home in us is going to be a journey into a deeper and deeper experience of love, of coming to believe more and more at the core of your being that you are loved with a passionate Uh, extravagant, committed, faithful love. And that begins to permeate your life. In the upper room, Jesus prays this unbelievable prayer. And he says, Father, I pray that the love you have for me would be in them. Okay? And I'll bet some of you doubt God's love for you, but I'll bet not many many of us doubt God's love for Jesus. For his son. You can't miss it. And Jesus is saying the same love that God has for his son can be in us. God can love us with the same passionate love that he loves his son with because we are in his son through faith in his son. And so that's what it is. It's an, it's an experience of knowing, a growing experience that you are loved in Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, this week for me was a fresh reminder of that. And it was so just delightful uh, and sweet. And I realized for me, experiencing that love does two things at once. Uh, it, um, It totally humbles me. And at the very same time, it, it, it fills me with great confidence. And I, I don't know how to say it another way, but I, I am completely humbled and yet filled with confidence at all at the same time. It's like I, I, my heart is put to rest, and yet I feel like I'm compelled then to go out and, and do stuff from that place of love. And that looks different for all of us. But that, the journey is going to be a journey of, of deeper love. And with that, then, it will be a journey of learning to love others. And that's what John's all about. Um, you take this love, and you begin to offer it to one another because you've experienced it. Finally, the other thing that John says is actually in verse 5, the very next verse, we'll look at this next week. God is light. God is love and God is light. And the journey of God making a home will be a journey of growing in our understanding of the light, beginning to see the light. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, and his truth. I think it means beginning to see 
reality as it truly is. Beginning to see reality the way that the Father and the Son see reality. Beginning to share their beliefs and their convictions and their priorities and their values in the world. And part of that will begin to realize that, that some of the beliefs of the world around us will be found to be seen as actually a sham. They're not true. They're not in line with deepest reality. To recognize that they're actually part of a kingdom that will not last. And our perspective is changing on what really matters in life and how we ought to live our lives. And so it will be this, this journey of deeper love, but also this journey of living in the light, beginning to make decisions, practical decisions that are in line with the convictions of the Father and the convictions of the Son. So I think that's, what it, that's the journey that we're going to see is this journey of love and this journey of light. And I just think, you know, as I think about our world today, um, isn't that what our world needs? It needs men and women of love and of light. <laughs> that's what it needs. It needs men and women of grace and truth <laughs> coming to understand love and offering that love and coming to understand reality as it is and offering the truth of that. That is what our world needs. And so that's the journey we'll be on uh, this fall. Let's pray. I want to invite you right now to just take a moment of honest uh, encounter with God. Sit before your God and take a moment just to be totally honest with him about where you are. As you hear this idea of God making a home in you, of eternal life as, as fellowship, with him and his son. Like, honestly, where, what, what does that stir in you? Uh, maybe it stirs a hunger and a longing for that. Like, man, I want that. Uh, maybe it, it stirs a boredom in you. I've heard this a million times. Maybe it stirs resistance in you. Maybe it stirs frustration. I so badly want that and that feels so out of touch. I don't know how to get there. I, don't, I just invite you to, to speak the truth of, of that, the reality of where you are to God now without judgment, but just to be exactly where you are and to say it and to name it and, and to, to own it. And Lord, wherever we are, this is the prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Father and Son, make your home in us in a deeper, fresher, newer way, Lord. That the life of God might be within us that we might abandon, as Mark said, the self-improvement projects that we're all so ambitiously pursuing. We might instead see a treasure that is so much better, which is you and fellowship with you, knowing you, 
encountering you. Man, Lord, your Holy Spirit (laughs) alone can do that work in our lives, in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and fill us afresh. Even as we sing to you now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.